It is a day, a Monday, where I suspect many of you are a little bit happier to get out of bed today and go to work. Greg, I know uh, Greg's not feeling all that well, but uh, my goodness, you must have just been on cloud nine on Friday. Friday night was something else. The Winnipeg Jets four goals in the first period, including one 31 seconds in. I was as nervous as could be going into Friday night's game. And that nervous quickly subsided, turned into jubilation. I don't know if I've ever heard an arena in Winnipeg that loud. Really? It was unbelievably loud. The chants, the different cheers that were going on inside the rink were fantastic. And what can you say about the celebrations outside Bell MTS Place? Winnipeg is coming together around this playoff run in the Winnipeg Jets now going into the second round. Nashville beats Colorado in game Six last night in Denver, five nothing. Ironic to a certain extent. The Jets beat the Wild five nothing on Friday night to set up this battle of the top two teams in the National Hockey League in terms of regular season records. A lot of people lamenting the fact that these two teams have to meet one another in the second round and that there's not a way for them to meet one another in the Stanley Cup final. But it is what it is. You've got to play them at some point. In order to claim victory, mm-hmm. so might as well get it out of the way now. Did they, did you refresh my memory, did the Jets finish second overall? Second overall. So it was Nashville one, Winnipeg two. But Correct. the Jets were hotter going into the playoffs. Were they uh, not? Yes, the Jets were the hottest team in the league going into the playoffs. So uh, that bodes well for them and a little bit of uh, rest here. We do not know when that series will start. I think it'll become a little bit clearer. Should Toronto fall to Boston tonight? And uh, depending on what happens in the Washington-Columbus series, if that happens to go seven games, we will have to be patient. It's not like the NBA, Brett. Uh, I know uh, you've paid attention to this in the past where you will have second-round series beginning before all the first-round series are complete. I always hated that. Yeah, the NHL doesn't do that. They wait until all the series in the first round are complete before even releasing the schedule for for the second round because they want to know what the matchups are going to be, who the marquee matchups are going to be. Uh, If Toronto manages to come back against Boston, it's going to uh, prove interesting to see how the games get divided between Rodgers and CBC. Mm. If the Jets manage to uh, be the only Canadian team based on a, a loss of by the Maple Leafs to the Bruins, I suspect the Jets will be all over CBC, but we'll have to wait and see. So uh, keep it locked here. As soon as we know, you'll know. Yeah, Rogers probably picked up a lot of a uh, lot of new subscribers over the last couple right. of weeks. Uh, game six, Boston and Toronto is tonight, and a possible game seven would go on Wednesday if uh, the Maple Leafs somehow managed to 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 pull it out. Uh, you have a bet uh, just to to refresh uh, memories as well. You have a bet as it pertains to the Toronto Maple Leafs with. Uh, one of our former colleagues here in Winnipeg who's now made his way back to Ontario, Ariario, uh, Matt Cardi. Yeah, that works for Global in Southern Ontario. Back last September, or maybe it even have been August, I bet him that the Winnipeg Jets would be playing hockey later in the calendar year than the Toronto Maple Leafs. Okay. And so that was looking really good on Friday night. Uh, it's not looking as good right now, although, you know, uh, the Maple Leafs and the Jets could both make it to the second round. So I'm feeling comfortable in that in that prognostication. Good. At, at this point. So still to come this morning, we have 
Two tickets to the Winnipeg Symphony Orchestra's Cirque de la Symphonie at the Centennial Concert Hall. That is happening this weekend. More details on that at WSO.ca as well as at CJOB.com. We just spoke with our friend Julian Pelicano, the resident conductor, this past week to tee up Oz with Orchestra. And I saw pictures of that on social media. A lot of people were uh, really genuinely excited about those. Uh, so good for the symphony for putting on yet another uh, spectacular-looking event uh, where you get, you'll have music from your favorite movie soundtracks uh, with the symphony or performed by the symphony with these amazing Cirque performers. So that should be a lot of fun at the concert hall this weekend. So wait for your cue to call for that. And then coming up after 8.30, we're going to... Where I guess, I suppose, do we call this tooting our own horn a yeah, little, little bit? Yeah, a little bit, thumping our chests, uh, letting you know that uh, the work that we're doing is, is having an effect within the industry. We were uh, honored with a couple of uh, awards that we're very proud of. We'll tell you about how we managed to pull that off in the later on the, in the morning. And I think the reason why we want to celebrate that as well is just to, because if we're winning awards, that means that you, our listener, is... Winning by listening to our radio station because the content that we're providing is of great value. So you'll hear what the awards were won for coming up after 8.30. But up next, cannabis equals bad breath. Up in the 300 level at the uh, Bell MTS place on Friday. Oh. It was 420. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Five minutes left in the game. Everyone was looking around going, hmm. That's a little bit of that sweet Mary Jane <laughs> inside the arena. As Canada awaits marijuana legalization this summer, it's important for us to understand how cannabis might affect our health. Dr. Harold Katz, the bad breath doctor, says there is a common yet major side effect you will watch You'll want to keep in mind should you ingest the drug. And Dr. Katz is here live on 680 CJOB. Good morning, doctor. Good morning. What is this common yet major side effect? Uh, it's called cotton mouth. And uh, it's a, a, a technical term that describes the dry mouth effect you get from uh, either smoking marijuana or ingesting uh, uh, cannabinoid uh, type of foods. Uh, basically, your mouth gets extremely dry, and once your mouth becomes dry, uh, certain things happen inside your mouth. Number one is your breath gets horrible. Uh, number two, you have uh, problems digesting food, uh, trouble speaking because you need saliva to speak properly, trouble swallowing, and then uh, you also get the munchies, so you end up getting fat. But that's a different uh, category that I don't take care of. So when we think about this whole idea of uh, never mind the smoke clinging to your clothing, there is actually yes. biological things going on within your mouth when you're ingesting marijuana to reduce saliva production, as you said. Why is saliva so important in keeping our breath healthy, Dr. Katz? Well, saliva has oxygen compounds in it, and the bacteria that cause bad breath are called anaerobic sulfur-producing bacteria. They're very sensitive to the amount of oxygen that's uh, in the environment. Uh, oxygen is the natural enemy of the anaerobic bacteria, and once your mouth gets dry, the bacteria go to town start to produce uh, what are called volatile sulfur compounds. Uh, those are chemicals that include hydrogen sulfide, which is the rotten egg smell. Another chemical is called cadaverine. Another is called uh, putrescine, uh, not my sister-in-law's name. That, that's a real chemical. <laughs> so you end up smelling like rotten flesh. 
And uh, that's certainly something you don't want to do. You're walking around feeling really good because you've uh, smoked a little pot, and here you are offending everyone with your horrible breath. So uh, not, not, not a good thing. Now, uh, politically, I'm neither uh, yay or nay on, uh, on smoking marijuana, but the fact is it does have an effect on your oral health. And uh, a, a sort of a more serious tone, once your mouth does become dry and you lose the ability to fight those bacteria, uh, not only does your breath become rotten, it's also terrible for your gums. You end up getting gum disease, and actually more people lose their teeth uh, to gum disease than to tooth decay. So uh, it does become a serious problem, uh, especially when you start to lose some teeth uh, because you're a habitual marijuana smoker. Now, you mentioned uh, that the smoke gives you the cotton mouth, but how do the edibles, if you're eating something that has cannabis in it, how can that have the same effect as the smoke? Well, there's actually a study done in Argentina, uh, University of Buenos Aires uh, did a study, and they found out there's something um, in our system called the uh, endocannabinoid uh, uh, sensitivity system. And... uh, the way that the body works, it's, it's looking for cannabinoids in all sorts of foods, not just in marijuana, and it, it affects the brain by telling the brain that your mouth is dry. Once the mouth becomes dry, then another sensor comes in that you need to eat something in order to stimulate the saliva. So your body wants to produce more saliva, and the simplest way to, to produce saliva is stick something inside your mouth. So uh, your, your brain is saying, hey, I need to eat something now in order to stimulate the saliva, and then you run out and buy some Cheetos. Is there another, <laughs> is there another way to stimulate saliva production, Dr. Katz? Yes, okay, uh, Anytime that you eat something, your saliva becomes stimulated. And in our clinics, we tell people one of the worst things people do is skip breakfast. You need to eat something. Now, the the way to do it is to stimulate saliva either with the natural foods, uh, sometimes uh, acidic type of foods will stimulate saliva. That's why lemons are used to stimulate saliva. We actually have a, a line of products, uh, the Therabeth line of products. We have a dry mouth rinse, which contains salivary enzymes, so it actually restores the saliva. And Walmart now has it all over Canada, the Therabeth dry mouth rinse. And we also have lozenges, which contain a flower extract, which also stimulates saliva. Uh, the Therabeth lozenges, and that's at Shoppers and Rexall and all the good stores up in Canada. Yeah, we've tried the uh, the lozenges are a big hit around the the radio station here. That's I know when I first tried them, uh, there you kind of get halfway through and then it 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 sort of goes into like goes into overdrive, right? And it, then it becomes like this flavor explosion. How do you how do you figure that out? Where you get it to kind of pick up the pace as it moves along? Well, what happened is uh, we uh, I'm, I'm based here in Los Angeles in Hollywood. We have a lot of voiceover people, and they've been using our Fresh Breath products, which are extremely popular. And they said, hey, we need something to uh, stimulate saliva because our mouth becomes dry. We're talking all day long. Uh, same thing with radio people. And uh, we came up a little, little bit of research with our, with, with our chemists, and uh, there's something called Jambu Extract. It uh, comes from a flower from Southeast Asia, and it had been used for thousands of years by uh, by the ethnic people there to freshen breath. And we actually uh, got a hold of some of the powder. We put it in the lozenges. It's also in the uh, Therabreath dry mouth rinse. And it really kickstarts the salivary gland, so it keeps your mouth nice and tingly and uh, and fresh. So it, the, the stuff really works. Done a lot of research on it as well. Dr. Hild Katz, uh, the bad breath doctor, thank you for bringing us your wisdom as always. We appreciate it. 
Uh, my pleasure. You guys smell great. <laughs> How did you know? <laughs> I know everything. <laughs> Fairabreathcanada.com is the website. Seriously, the products are great. And Dr. Harold Katz, we always love speaking to him. Looks like a great week ahead. In fact, if you look at Environment Canada's long-term forecast, a little cooler Thursday, Tuesday and Thursday, around 10, 14 Friday, 20 on Saturday, and the forecast high for Sunday, say it, Brett. 24 degrees. 24 degrees. So we'll keep an eye on that, see if that moving target changes, as it, as it has as it has uh, the tendency to do from time to time. Uh, there was a story out of New Brunswick uh, several years ago that ended up going, well, it was actually 2012, that long ago. It took six years to get to the Supreme Court of Canada. It was over Gerard Cuomo's decision to buy 14 cases of beer and some booze in Quebec and take it back home to New Brunswick. Yep. The cops caught him and said, uh, you can't do that. And here's a $300 fine for your trouble. <laughs> yeah. $292.50 went all the way to the Supreme Court. And to talk more about this, we are joined by Sylvain Charlebois, Professor in Food Distribution and Policy Dean of the Faculty of Management at Dalhousie University. Hey, Sylvain, thank you very much for joining us once again. Hey, good morning. So in the article that you wrote on this, it begins with this week's Supreme Court ruling on interprovincial trade barriers is a significant loss for consumers and our Canadian economy, but a great win for inertia with the Supreme Court upholding the fine, saying that it was constitutional. Why is it a significant loss for consumers and the economy? I'm not sure consumers can appreciate how interprovincial barriers can affect uh, the 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 variety of products they would have access to and the price of products they would have access to Canadian made products and there are so many uh, interprovincial barriers in agri food uh, it's unbelievable uh, now of course because of the Como case the focus was was on alcohol beer and and wine but uh, it goes way beyond that uh, let's look at supply management for example with dairy poultry and eggs. Uh, marketing boards, provincial marketing boards control the quota system. So if, if you are to question interprovincial barriers, uh, you basically would need, you need to force, you would need to force provinces to relook at how they trade with other provinces. And uh, they would need to also look at how to grow the economy domestically. So the paradox is very simple. While Ottawa is out there signing trade deals with different countries around the world. Well, at home, it's a mess. So which sort of marketing boards uh, are we talking about here, Sylvain? I can imagine, but uh, we might as well ask you and get you to rattle off a few. Yeah, so let's, let's look at dairy, for example. So, so in, uh, in Manitoba, you have a, a dairy marketing board, and they basically give out quotas based on domestic demand, demand in your province same for every other province. And so when you actually think about that, uh, it is very difficult for a province like Manitoba or even Nova Scotia at home to actually build capacity in processing because you only have a million people to feed. So uh, Ontario and Quebec has a huge advantage over other provinces just because of capacity, and you can build economies of scales. And that's why most of the dairy processing uh, is in Quebec and Ontario. And so 
how do you grow economy when when barriers disallow for entrepreneurial spirits to to thrive? So this would be good for consumers then if had the Supreme Court ruled the other way. Uh, but if it if it if it would be good for consumers, would it be because the price would go down? Uh, would that be good for producers? Oh, absolutely. Eventually, the the of course it would be a longer path, and there will. Be, I mean, if 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 let's say that the Supreme Court of Canada last week would have ruled in favor of of Como, um, there there would have been a lot of uncertainties because provinces would have had to go back to the drawing board and figure that one out. <laughs> not, and not just in alcohol. I mean, right, right now we're talking a lot about cannabis. Uh, cannabis is the same story happening all over again. Uh, each province uh, is uh, trying to figure uh, their own legislative regime. Uh, and so right now you are going to look at 10 different markets that will evolve very differently. Right now, what's going on in Canada with cannabis is that the West is much more liberal, I would say, uh, much more, I'd say, free market oriented. The private sector's role is more recognized. In the East, it's actually the opposite. So how, how is that going to work in a federation like ours over time? Food safety is the same thing. There's lots of food safety measures that differ from one province to another that actually disallow small, medium-sized businesses, and I'm sure there are many of them in Winnipeg and in Manitoba who can't increase their footprint beyond the province uh, because they're mom-and-pop shops and, uh, and, of course, because of the bureaucracy, they just don't bother. So what's the reluctance by provinces to break down these barriers? Predictability. So if you're if you're the government of Manitoba, you know what to expect. You know how much revenues you're going to generate by selling alcohol to Manitobans. Uh, it's not going to. You're not going to face uh, uncertainty at all. Uh, and of course, trade groups are very much in favor of this, uh, like the Dairy Board, uh, the Egg Board in uh, Manitoba. They're all very favorable to the status quo just because they know what to expect. Even though we're losing farms. Uh, we don't have uh, a whole lot of variety to, to consumers. And, of course, if you go to a restaurant in Winnipeg, well, you're stuck with what's available through the commission, which, is, which has a monopoly. And so if people in Manitoba would want to try wine from, say, Nova Scotia, well, they can't right now because it'd be too expensive. Do you think that we are ever going to see a change in these interprovincial barriers, especially now that uh, this conversation has started as a result of what the Supreme Court of Canada decided? Uh, when you read the ruling, it's, an in- it's interesting because you just feel that the Supreme Court of Canada uh, kind of played the uh, judicial advocacy card, uh, trying to entice politicians to think twice about internal trades. They they stayed on the sideline and they actually left it to politicians to figure that one out. I honestly don't think uh, anything is going to change anytime soon, just because I, I fail to see any incentive. Really, what's the incentive? It can't get political because consumers don't understand what the inter interprovincial barriers are. They don't see it. It's it, it's invisible. You pay for it. You pay for all of these barriers when you buy food at the grocery store, in a restaurant, but it's invisible, so it can't get political. So there's no incentive for any government to move on this.
unfortunately. Well, and unfortunately, the story isn't changing. But fortunately for us, you we have you as a resource, Sylvan, and we'll uh, keep in touch and keep an eye on this story as uh, it moves, however slowly. Yeah. Meanwhile, enjoy your beer, in Manitoba. <laughs> There's <laughs> Thanks, lots Sylvan. of good, lots of good beer here. So thank you very much. I know. I would like to have some, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, come but see us. All right. Yeah. All right. Thank you very much, Sylvain Chalabois, Professor in Food Distribution and Policy, Dean of the Faculty of Management, Dalhousie University. All right. Are we officially declaring spring? Is it? Is it officially here? Well, yes. Officially, it's been a month. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, why do you always have to be the voice of reason? I don't know. Okay. So uh, anyway. Uh, but yeah. So much for that. Well, the first weekend <laughs> that we didn't have a sub-zero wind chill. So, yes. Yeah. Or okay. any snow Thank on the ground. You, Kelly. You're Thank you, Kelly. It's spring. Thank you, Kelly. You're welcome, Uno- GMAC. Unofficial spring. Yeah, you're the one that said official. I didn't start I'm just it. reading what's written. The <laughs> uh, weather's warmed up. People are starting to see their neighbors again. Oh, my gosh. No kidding. I'm seeing people that live, like, you know, 300 feet from me. Yeah, you I'm still live here? Yeah, six months. What was your name again? Reintroducing yourselves. The, the rituals uh, begin again. You're seeing the dogs that... Uh, survived the winter, uh, getting walks again. It's great. Uh, so today we're having coffee talking about the first signs of spring and our own springtime rituals. And I would say mine is definitely talking to the neighbors again and uh, seeing folks more than one house away from me. What about you, Kelly? Uh, Brett alluded to the fact that you conducted your first, what you consider your first official ritual of spring yesterday. Well, it's always such a sad day in the fall. Usually the, uh, the Monday of Thanksgiving weekend, that all the stuff from outside goes into the shed. Mm. So it's such an exhilarating day when you bring it all back out again. But it can't, the outside living can't start until I put out these two pink pigs. And if just to kind of paint a picture, they're <laughs> they're on their side kind of sunbathing, okay, with their hand <laughs> cupped in their ear. And way back when, this is how long we've had these pigs. They're named Thelma and Louise. So when Thelma and Louise get put out in the backyard to start sunbathing, spring has sprung, the grass has riz. I love it. Nice. We now know where Thelma and Louise is. Have you had to repaint them over the years? <laughs> uh, no, it, because that would take away from their authenticity, Hitman. Oh, uh, yeah, look at they, that. Yeah, yeah, okay. They, you know, like, like their owner. They have to age with grace. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna use that one with Jackie on the on the deck that needs a little bit. Ah, it's not as authentic as we <laughs> What about you behind the glass, Jerry? Last night, Sarah and I sat out on our back deck and had a nice wobbly pop. Ah, that was the first time we'd done that this year. So that to me is the beginning of spring. Yeah, it was nice. Uh, I was outside yesterday with just a t-shirt. And that felt uh, pretty good. What about you, Shanley Vidal? Um, I was actually outside, uh, and I raked up five bags of yard waste, I guess leaves that just didn't get picked up in the fall, because so I get everyone else's leaves. I had a brief a conversation with my neighbor, and she said, oh, look, it's good to see the neighbors again, because winter's not here. Uh, I started making plans to build a fence so I don't have to see my other neighbors. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of like Kelly, I'm getting ready to put up my uh, yard characters. I have a fierce no who sits outside and he's getting a friend. I have a gnome riding a unicorn that's going to be going out. <laughs> what was and the first one you said you have? It's a fierce gnome and he has a little light and he looks really... A fierce gnome? He's very yeah. fierce looking and then he's going to be accompanied by another gnome with a, uh, riding a unicorn. And then I picked up... Uh, like Not an, so fierce looking. <laughs> a gin- and then I, I also have to go up... They're all going up together. A ginger cat with his tummy cut out for bird seed. 
and he's going to be hung up somewhere. That's outside. kind of a morbid thing. The birds are eating right out of the, the cat's stomach. It's Turnabout is fair play. Don't it's going to be exactly. so fun to watch. <laughs> uh, what, about you, what about you, Jeff? Uh, I'm, I'm not rich like old Moneybags Moore here. I don't have a shed to store my stuff in. It just has to weather the winter. But uh, So my spring thing is to clean it all because it's been outside the whole time. I haven't done that yet. I spent the weekend watching TV. Um, and unlike Greg, I don't like talking to the neighbors. So I did see them out there and it kept me inside. So. <laughs> imagine, <laughs> imagine trim clad. They s- probably sold a lot of trim clad paint no over kidding. the weekend at the at a variety of the home improvement stores to get things freshened up and uh, to get things ready. I love spring. I love this time. I'm always hesitant. We have one of those uh, two season gazebos. Right with the uh, soft roof, uh, we're on gazebo number four in the last six years because the first three I forgot to screw down to the deck and lost oh, them in windstorms. Oh, oh boy! This one I've been told is my last one. If this one doesn't <laughs> survive, survive, then, yeah. then that's the end of it. So when I put the roof on the gazebo, that's when I'm confident. I'm not quite there yet. I think we could still get one more dump of heavy snow. You know, uh, white rain I like to call it. So we'll see how. How that goes. So it's open during the winter? Is that how it works? Yeah, it's just the metal frame. Okay. And then you take the canvas roof and the and the and the sides are all screened in so that you can enjoy the evening without mosquitoes. Okay. Uh, well for me it's pretty evident as to what my ritual yeah. is. I didn't yeah. actually get to do it this weekend. Oh. Yeah, it's golf. Uh, I didn't go this weekend, though. I, I wanted to get out to Kingswood, but what uh, was unavailable Saturday, and then my friends had a tea time booked at Oakwood uh, in St. Anne yesterday, But uh, and I was a part of that group, but when the alarm clock went off Sunday morning, I just... I was tired. I Holy! Yeah. You ignored too tired the golf, for golf alarm. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I feel for like a shame. I know. I'm, I actually was. I feel kind of ashamed. Having said that, looking at the forecast, though, you mentioned uh, Environment Canada saying sunny and 24 on Sunday, but but in Weather Network says 15, and AccuWeather also says 15 with a chance of rain. Really? So we're getting three wildly no different kidding. forecasts for Sunday, so we'll keep an eye on that, but there will uh, be opportunities. Whatever. Do, if, do you guys, now, you guys live in apartments, so this might not count, but... It's have, a condo. The, I own it. The uh, weirdest, mine's an apartment. <laughs> okay, the weirdest thing you find over the course of winter, we've got this fern bush in, the, in our front yard, and I found somebody's barbecue cover. Really? (laughs) It had been, I guess, you know, it had blown in there and then the snow had fallen on top of it. So here I am going from door to door. This your barbecue cover? (laughs) Turned out to be the next door neighbor. I found someone's keys actually the other day. About a month ago, uh, maybe two months ago, someone had lost their car keys and they put a note at the back door saying, if you find my car keys, can you please call me? And uh, they finally emerged in the the snow, the melting snow, a couple of days ago. They were right not five feet from the back door. Wow. So I called the caretaker and asked, and they said what suite they were in. And I went down and knocked on the door and said, are these these rusty keys (laughs) yours? Uh, So, yeah, he was really happy about that. I also, the the weirdest thing I ever found, though, was someone's trash that they had just dumped out their window from the top floor. (laughs) Just dump their trash out the window. Yikes. Food sitting there for three months got all moldy and gross. The oh only thing I ever get is uh, the rabbit that lives on our yard used my patio as like its winter burrow a couple years ago. And it's just a 
six months worth of leave some friendly yeah, reminders. Exactly. Yeah, that oh, I had to no. sweep yeah, up and clean up. I think our neighborhood rabbit found its way onto my deck as well, which is about three feet up off the ground. So clean them up before it gets too warm out. Yes, that's a very good piece <laughs> of advice. So we have a way more hockey sticks than I thought too. I think we have about half a dozen that have emerged because they got buried in the snow over oh, the winter. Oh, that used to be the best when you were a kid, is go out in that backyard and find all your stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's like finding your treasure. Balls and everything. Yeah, exactly. Balls and balls. 780-6868. What is your right of spring? What makes it officially spring for you? I'd like to hear from you via text message or email gmac at cgob.com or brett at cgob.com. I also want to see a picture of your fierce gnome. I googled fierce gnome, and I, there's one... There's a there's one gnome here who <laughs> he's holding a cleaver and he's oh it looks like he's cut the head off of a flamingo. Oh, uh, is that it? I, no, so I, I think no. I bet you that's it. I think he's no. declaring war on other lawn ornaments. Um, yeah, so I, I'm curious to know what it looks like. <laughs> he's very he just looks very stern and he's like stay away from this property. Some other some great news on the text machine. I lost an earring last fall and I found it on the front lawn Saturday. One two three four five six exclamation. One of the most bizarre things I think that I've ever heard of in Winnipeg went down last night where it was a startling sound for some residents in Osborne Village. Around 9 p.m., they heard what sounded like an emergency alert being broadcast over a loudspeaker. You know, those, you when you get the, you hear that emergency sound that comes on the radio, you often hear it in the summertime for the threat of Im- impending dangerous weather that... I could probably make it more annoying than that. But that was pretty I, accurate, though. Yeah, yeah, I'd rather not go for the high pitch. Well, this alert warned of an imminent nuclear missile threat to Canada. Global News has received no official communication about a threat or a missile attack at any of our newsrooms across Canada, and the warning was only heard in a small part of the city. In audio recorded in the area, you can hear a loud loud siren, then a robotic-sounding voice warning of six, very specific threat, six nuclear missiles headed toward Canada and the United States. It warns Canadian residents to seek shelter underground, to stay away from windows, and to tune into local media. You have to listen quite carefully in order to hear this, but this is what it sounded like. Now this, uh, that audio, by the way, was recorded uh, from an apartment building on Roslyn, uh, balcony facing the river. So we're not entirely sure where exactly this is coming from. Uh, John Loveland, who is the managing editor of Global News Winnipeg, he heard the warning outside shortly after 9. He says people listening on their balconies called police, and they arrived quickly. Here's more of what John had to say. This really alarming warning comes out saying... There's six inbound missiles from Russia. We don't know their track, but everyone in Canada and the U.S. should start taking precautions and moving to your basement and, and putting as many walls between you and the outside world as possible and, and not venturing outside. So again, Global News has received no communication about any sort of threat. We're still investigating the source of the audio. Uh, 
More thoughts on this in a moment. Just some breaking news out of London, where Kensington Palace says the Duchess of Cambridge has given birth to her second son. The baby is the third child for her and husband, Prince William, and fifth in line to the throne. The Royal Palace's Kate and her son are both doing well. The so, baby knocks Prince Harry down to sixth in oh. line to the throne. <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. Uh, so this audio thing, obviously very troubling. No idea. Like, as you mentioned, a very specific number when they said that it's six nuclear missiles headed towards Canada. So a lot of effort went into this what appears to be just a, an elaborate prank. And and a robotic voice, much like what we hear when we get those weather warnings here on 680 CJOB, right? Because there's a there seems to be a standard vocabulary for the robot and the automated voice to string together. So they imitated that. If you listen quite carefully, you can hear that it's got that same sort of cadence, that same sort of tone yep. as that robotic announcement that you hear for weather warnings. Uh, very elaborately executed without question. Yeah, I mean, that that's a voice you often hear. Sometimes you go to YouTube and you're just looking for video of whatever news item happened to be big. And sometimes people will just, they'll, they'll put together a compilation of pictures that they've grabbed and they'll just type in, they, I guess they just feed a script into this service where it'll then give you this voice, this robot voice that you're talking about. So that's fairly easily accessed. Curious to know where this came from, if this came through some kind of a loudspeaker, if somebody had set one up maybe by the bridge. Uh, you know, I know it was suggested maybe there was somebody just hiding under the bridge who had access to a loudspeaker. But why someone would want to do this is uh, an interesting question. And it also follows after that that fake BBC thing from just the other day. Yeah, we have to be very conscientious. Uh, we had a very lengthy discussion here about why sometimes uh, we are shall we say, not rushing to confirm things. We are always trying to make sure that everything that we present is accurate and has been verified as fact before we bring it on the air. And there have been several examples over the last several months, if not years, uh, that that highlight the, the necessity to be very vigilant in terms of ensuring accuracy in these reports. And if you heard this recording last night, we'd love to hear from you. 204-780-6868 on text. What was your reaction? And uh, we'd, we'd be very fascinated to know if, you know, we'd like to get to the bottom of this. Maybe you know who did this. Yeah. 780-6868 by text, or you can send us an email, gmac at cjob.com or brett at cjob.com. If you go to cjob.com, you can hear the full audio as well. The headline is Unfounded Nuclear Attack Warning shocks Osborne Village and the full four and a half minute audio recording is there where you will hear the recording sort of starts as the audio has already begun and then it goes off for a couple of minutes and then it picks up again and you can hear the whole thing and uh, it's already been downloaded uh, over 2600 times from our website so you can not you can listen to it but you can also download it as well at cjob.com if you're celebrating a birthday today, you're in good company. Yes. We'll tell you who's celebrating their 454th birthday today. Well, he's not around to celebrate, but we'll tell you who would be celebrating his. There's the hint. 
the only one you're going to get. 454th birthday today. Uh, you know that downtown has been a place of gathering over the last several days, but the city's most popular gathering spot is the Forks. Indeed, and the headline on this particular release is live music to our ears. The Forks Buskers program teams up with Manitoba Music. So to tell us more about this, we're joined by the Manager of Marketing and Communications from the Forks North Portage Partnership, Chelsea Thompson, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Chelsea, good morning to you. Good morning. So first of all, what is, for those who might not know, what is a busker? Uh, It's basically someone who um, performs um, on usually not plugged in um, in public street festivals inside the Forks Market is a really popular place for buskers. So someone that entertains usually using themselves or an instrument or a couple props. Now you've had busk stops around the Forks for as long as I can remember. How many of those busk stops are there? Uh, That's a good question. They move a little bit and more goes out in the summer, but I believe we have five inside and maybe around the same outside as well. So you've got guys out there, people out there doing miming stuff, uh, nine-foot unicycle, juggling (laughs) coconuts, uh, but now you've got a partnership with Manitoba Music. So what are the details on this partnership? So we've been partnering with Manitoba Music on a number of things. They um, help fill our stage lineup for things like Canada Day and New Year's Eve celebrations. And uh, they program our music that plays inside at the Common and often the music that plays underneath the skating rinks during the winter. And we just thought we'd take that partnership one step further and have them um, help us with our licensing program. So for the past uh, almost 26 years, people come down to the Forks and audition, usually um, live in front of um, anyone that happens to be in the Forks market that day and their friends and family. And it's kind of a bit of a... I don't know, Manitoba, Winnipeg version of uh, American Idol. And you sort of get decided based on your talent level um, and how entertaining you are, your personality, all of those things, um, whether or not you receive a Forks bus pass. We want to make sure that we help grow the talent in Manitoba, but also that we make sure that the people that are visiting the Forks are enjoying the entertainment as well. And we've kind of been um, winging it for several years using um, Forks resources, people that um, just have an interest in music or juggling or those kinds of things. And we thought, why not partner with our friends at Manitoba Music, help them, um, or sorry, they help us draw in some new people, some new faces, and they also can um, help give the performers a bit of tips and tricks for, you know, how to improve and how to um, get themselves out beyond the Forks. So uh, buskers get what's called a busk pass, and that makes them an official busker. I've heard of the dust rhinos. In fact, I I know one of the principals from the dust rhinos and the treble. Uh, Those are two groups that have been identified as uh, those that might not have been quite so famous when they started busking, but are well known in the community now. And some fella by the name of Justin Bieber. (laughs) Yeah, he did actually busk at the Forks without a busk pass. He was illegally busking, if you will. But yeah. Oh, that suits his... people come through town that um, make their stop at the Forks and entertain those visiting. That suits his persona, exactly, yeah. so it's perfect. <laughs> when was this? Um, this was probably maybe 10 years ago, yeah. So was he trying to, to raise funds? Like, were people throwing coins and stuff at him? 
I think it was more a pre-concert fun entertainment thing. I'm just going to pop up <laughs> over here and, yeah, put on some tunes. And the crazy fans follow, that's for sure. Sorry, I shouldn't say that. The the fanatics, the, what are they called? The, the believers? Yes, yes, thank you, yeah. Well, mm-hmm. the, didn't uh, Justin Bieber's dad live in Winnipeg at one point, or maybe he still does, I don't know. Well, well, anyway, we're, we're perpetuating, perpetuating yeah, a uh, urban... Yeah, i a Justin Bieber l- expert, I can't that for you. <laughs> Um, so Chelsea, then uh, when this, so this is the, the partnership. So for those who are wanting to take advantage of this new partnership, uh, if they want to, if they have an interest in busking, what should they do? So all the uh, information about um, how to apply is available on our website. It's just theforks.com. And uh, there's a link right on our homepage. And then the application forms on there. We're asking people to upload um, a video of themselves for the first round. And um, some people may get a bus task just going through that process. Others may be asked to come in for um, a closed door um, audition as well. And then you'll be decided if you busk um, inside, outside, just outside, uh, there's sort of a few provisions, but we'll run through all of that with them once they um, start the audition. All right, Chelsea, thanks for bringing us the information on this. We appreciate it. No, thank you. Have a great morning. You too. Chelsea Thompson with the Forks North Portage Partnership. She is their manager of marketing and communications. Applications for 2018-2019 busk passes are open until May 7th. Again, you can register online and link a video of your performance at the Forks Now, uh, I don't know if he was the original busker or not. You might make an argument that uh, the gentleman who would have been 454 years old today could qualify as the original busker. He just brought his own theater along for the ride. Whose birthday would have been today, Mr. Jerry? Bill Shakespeare. Bill. Bill Shakespeare. Ah, Bill. Good old Bill. Oh, Bill. William. Good old Willie. Willie, William Shakespeare, <laughs> would have been 454 today. You're making some uh, purists really upset right now. Yeah. Call him Willie. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Will I am Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, mm-hmm. And you've stumbled on something. Yes. Uh, I, I found uh, this website where they're putting uh, uh, song lyrics into Shakespearean. So, uh, for example, because mayhap ye be the one that saves me, and after all... You art mine wondrous wall. Nice. I like that. How about this one? Do it in that you started you started yes. to go into the accent. How about Maidens of comely posteriors, ye maketh yon rocking globe go round. Sounds like a queen song to me. <laughs> <laughs> do more, do more. Uh taketh me down to thine city of paradise, whereupon the grass is so green, and verily the girls are pretty. I love it. William Shakespeare, happy birthday. Another big birthday today now, right? On the royal calendar. That's right. As the Duchess of Cambridge has given birth to a baby boy for Wills and Kate. That is... Speaking of Wills. Yes, another Will. There you go. That's right. Yeah, Winnipeg was Paradise City. Friday night. I don't know if I've ever seen anything like that, quite frankly. 15,000 white-clad fans inside, as many outside, and then some. Mackling McGarry with you until 10 o'clock this morning. Kelly Moore, sports director here at 680 CJOB, and Christian O'Mell, host of Sports Sunday. Join us in studio now for nothing after one period. I got to tell you, Kelly, it was uh, very good for my 
cardiac <laughs> system that the, the Jets were able to open up an, a lead nice and early on Friday night. Well, it was kind of interesting how Friday night uh, rolled out. Because on the Friday morning sports, I talked about the championship pedigree of the Pittsburgh Penguins, two-time defending Stanley Cup champs, and the Nashville Predators, who'd been to the final last year, and now the you know the Winnipeg Jets, who've never been there, done that. And how would they react to close-out games? And the Jets laid down the hammer, as we know. Uh, Nashville and Pittsburgh let Philadelphia and Colorado breathe a little longer. So uh, to me, that was one of the most impressive things that the Jets did was how they took it to Minnesota and it didn't run the risk of maybe another injury, another suspension, whatever, in a game six down in Minnesota. Oh, last yeah. Night. The wind was out of the sails real quick for the wild. And once you go down a couple, now it's three, now it's four, Dubnik's out, the white flag's up, and it's just a matter of let's run out the clock until this is over. And for the people at Bell MTS Place, it's just a long party because mm. you know you've got it in the bag already. So there's not the tension that existed in games one and two. It was just, all right, we're going to party all night here. I was a little baffled by those who were disappointed by the lack of a close game. <laughs> really? I kind of gave them the oh. stink eye. It's like, really? Uh, no, I, I'll take this any time of the day or night. But that that was one of the common things I heard about the game is that it was kind of, it, there, there, there wasn't as thrilling as it could have been. Mm-hmm. So, when, I mean, you win a series, though. That's pretty thrilling in itself. And I understand that, you know, people like drama. Uh, For those of us, for those of us who've been waiting for a long time, it was, I was just as fine without the drama. My response to those folks would be, okay, I I get where you're coming from, but don't worry, you'll get plenty of drama in round two. No question about it. So there'll be no shortage of white knuckle finishes uh, between Winnipeg and the Nashville Predators. So, uh, yeah, any time, any time you can... Uh, take the shortcut. And as even in a, a game like that where, you know, Buffalo was the only guy who really played any substantial amount of minutes, 25-plus. Everybody else's ice time was uh, managed because of the score. So there were just so many things that were right about how that win unfolded for the Winnipeg Jets. So is it too early to ask the question, what will be the key for the Jets in defeating the, the Nashville Predators? I, I don't think it'll be too early. I, in my opinion, uh, the the bottom line will be the Jets will have to have great starts. Whichever team I think can start the best in the other's building, I think is going to be huge in the outcome of that series because both buildings are so incredibly difficult to play in. Absolutely, and I think Nashville was 3-1-1 one, and one against Winnipeg this season and won a game, maybe one of the craziest games of the year in the league back mm. in February, that 6-5 win for Nashville. They're such a quick-strike team, and they get a lot of points from the point that they weren't getting against Colorado. The Avalanche did a good job of shutting down the offense from the point. They got guys, Roman Yossi, P.K. Subban, Matias Ekholm, Ryan Ellis. These guys are great at controlling the offense once they get you hemmed in. So that's something the Jets have to focus on, which I think they did a good job against Minnesota, keeping shots really from the outside. But again, we saw against Predators a number of times this year. They are very deep. We talk about the depth of the Jets. Predators are just as deep, and they've got four lines that can score goals. 
Which team was more impressive in their first round, Winnipeg or Nashville? Winnipeg was. Um, I was more impressed in that Nashville series by Colorado mm-hmm. um, because I don't think a lot of people gave them much of a chance. Now, game six yesterday, Nashville said, enough of this. Yeah. We're putting our foot down, and they crushed them 5 nothing. But there were, those games were closer than I thought they would be. And I think the, the Jets did a great job those last few games against Minnesota, games four and five, of just suffocating the wild. And we saw that in game two as well, whereas Nashville really let Colorado hang around for a lot longer than I thought. Yeah, I, I think also one of the differences between what's going to happen between Winnipeg and Nashville and what happened between Nashville and Colorado is uh, the Jets are are a far more physical team than the Avalanche. And, and so that is going to bring out the best in both of these teams because Nashville can play it any way you like to as well. They, they have that kind of a team. So th- this series, and here's the thing that excites me the most, guys, is that for decades, we have w- waited for Winnipeg to be at the center of the hockey universe. This is the series mm-hmm. everybody wants, and Winnipeg's a part of it, and what the fans are doing to keep Winnipeg on the top of everybody's conversation right now with the outdoor street parties. It's just, it's doing wonders for this city. So, uh, yeah, strap on, because this is going to be one heck of a ride. Jets now have won 17 of their last 19 games overall, stretching back into the regular season. You have the two number one teams in the league standings going head-to-head in the second round, and there'll be lots of discussion about maybe a fault in the NHL playoff system, but we can't do anything about that, so let's put that aside. This series will also feature two of the three goaltenders that are nominated Mm -hmm. for the Vesna Trophy, and if not for a goal with 45 seconds left in the Jets' first victory 4-1 over the uh, over Minnesota, Connor Hellebuck would have had three shutouts in that series. Mm-hmm. Who's, the, who's the better goalie? Right now, it's Connor Hellebuck. Uh, Pekka Rene had some moments in that series where there were some maybe softer goals go in. Hellebuck had the single worst game of the two of them in Game 3, but Right now, and this can always change, of course, the second they get on the ice against each other, it's Connor Hellebuck. Over the course of the season, you might make the argument Rene by a smidge. <laughs> I honestly think the Vesna will go to Vasilevsky in Tampa Bay, but yeah. uh, it's going to be one heck of a matchup. And we saw that 6-5 game back in February that yeah. sometimes it doesn't matter. Yeah, I was just going to say, I- I'm not sure the goaltenders will be as as stellar. They'll have to play great. But uh, both of these teams have so much firepower that I, I don't think you're going to see many shutouts in this series. That's for sure. The the people with uh, Nashville Predators and Winnipeg Jets in their hockey pools are going to be pretty happy. Well, somebody just texted us at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight while you guys were talking about Pekka oh. Rene. Uh, some chant ideas to get under oh, his oh, skin, and one of them is uh, Tian Solku. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing this correctly. It's in Finnish. Tian Solku, which translates to shutout, <laughs> and then. Okay. Uh, Havia Jot, which uh, translates to losers, or uh, <laughs> Havia Ja, which is uh, loser slash also ran. Oh, I'll tell you, the, the, the target for the fans' derision will be P.K. Oh, Subban. Oh, of course. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. And I think uh, Salamaki, he's going to be a guy, too, that will be high on the hate meter at the end of this series. Were you a little nervous when the fans started singing this in the second period? No. When they started saying it in game two, I thought it was a little silly. (laughs) (laughs) Some great chants on Friday night. Keep it up. Uh, As soon as we know when the schedule is available, you'll know it as well. Yeah, probably. If the series on tonight, then tonight, 
but uh, yeah, I, I would say that uh, you could probably look at a Thursday start. Kelly Moore, Christian O'Mel, thank you very much for joining us. It's a boy. Prince William's wife, Kate, gave birth earlier this morning to the couple's third child. Kensington Palace says the baby weighed 8 pounds, 7 ounces, and we are joined live on 680 CJOB by Global's Europe Bureau Chief, Jeff Semple. Mr. Semple, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, guys. Great to be with you. Yeah, it's a celebratory day. Uh, I guess with any baby arriving, we don't know exactly when these things are going to happen. How did you find out? What were you up to, Jeff, when you heard that the Duchess of Cambridge was on her way to hospital? Oh, uh, it seems to be a bit of a tradition. I was fast asleep and uh, my phone rang in the middle of the night and told me to get to the hospital. <laughs> it's usually, usually the way it goes. But Kensington Palace did make it official at uh, around 8.20 British time uh, this morning. Um, so I guess that would have been, what, about 2.20 your time, I think, 1.20 your time. So in the wee hours of the morning, they put out the official announcement that, the, that Kate, the Duchess of Cambridge, had gone into the early stages of labor. She was taken to right where I'm standing now, St. Mary's Hospital, the Lindo Wing, the same hospital where George was born, Charlotte, as well as Princes William and Harry. So they're in very good hands here. Uh, and then we were, of course, waiting and watching to see, you know, when the news would come. And as you alluded to off the top there in the last hour, the the baby breaking news that it is indeed a boy. And that boy is now fifth in line for the throne, one spot behind his big sister Charlotte and bumping down Prince Harry one spot. There's always a lot of talk about talk about whether or not we still need the the monarchy, but yet, uh, you know, when we we made a mistake earlier that we said there were three, she gave birth to her third boy, and we got an onslaught of phone calls and text messages saying, no, that's not the case, and they pointed out our correction. Um, so when when things like this happen, it just kind of shows how many people still are in full support and just uh, love uh, the royal family. Yeah, in full support. And I think, you know, there are a lot of people who, who you know, find it all kind of fun and entertaining. But, you know, you're right. There are people for whom this is very serious stuff. And, I mean, we are talking about one of the oldest institutions in the world. The Queen, who turned 92 years young on Saturday, announced on Friday that Prince Charles will be the next head of the Commonwealth. Of course, there's been some speculation about that. And when you talk about, you know, that conversation around the monarchy and whether it really has a role in, in you know, in 2018... Well, you know, standing here across from the hospital, there are hundreds of people, uh, some of whom have literally dressed up like the British flag. and Some of them have been camping out here for a few weeks outside the hospital. And there are news cameras here, not just from the Commonwealth, but from around the world, hundreds of them lining the street for, say, three or four hundred meters. So if that's any indication of the interest in the royal family, I mean, we were talking earlier with... Uh, a royal journalist, an author who's been covering the royal family for about 40 years, and he says it's amazing to see how popular it is in many ways, more popular than it has been in a long time, not only because we have the Will and Kate effect, as it's become to be known with their two, now three, cute little kids. We also have, of course, a royal wedding to look forward to in less than a month when Prince Harry ties the knot with Meghan Markle, an American. And it's that American connection that has really reignited the U.S. interest in the royal family, and we were talking to a few of those crews here from the United States. They were saying that the interest in the royal family in the United States is at an all-time high now as well. 
Well, Jeff, we've got to let you go. We're going to go get online and uh, put our money on uh, the, which uh, name they come up with for this with, with this yeah, child yeah, before I'm it's announced. Prince Jeff has a nice ring to it. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He's our Prince Jeff, Jeff Semple, joining us from London. Thanks, friend. Thank you very much, Jeff Semple. And that is Global's Europe Bureau Chief uh, joining us on Prince William's wife, Kate, giving birth earlier this morning to the couple's third child, a boy. So that's two boys and a girl. Excited to toot our own horn this morning. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry, along with two of our favorite people in the global family in studio with us. Very early for them, so thanks for uh, joining us. Brittany Greenslade and Richard Cluche will tell you why they are here in just a moment. Uh, Brett, we don't always uh, do a very good job, I think, in Manitoba and Winnipeg in particular, of exclaiming and shouting from the rooftops when we've done things particularly well. We're going to fix that in this segment. That's right. This past weekend, Global News Winnipeg received two awards from the Radio, Television, Digital News Association, or RTDNA Canada. Tristan Field-Jones won the Continuing Coverage Award for his Growing Pains series, which aired in the fall here on 680 CJOB. Growing Pains tells the struggle of Winnipeg neighborhoods coping with population growth without the added support of community services. Here's a little refresher on that. Hey, Winnipeg, our city is growing. It's exciting, but it's not happening without some growing pains. We are at the forefront right now with a little bit of a garbage epidemic. I don't want to see bulldozers come into my neighborhoods and it all become $300,000 condos. Their drive to work is now 30, 35, 40, 45 minutes. Starting Tuesday, our series on the bumps in the road to a city of a million people and what's being done to smooth them out. Rome wasn't built overnight, but it wasn't built just by sitting on your hands. Growing pains, starting Tuesday on 680 CJOB. That was in the fall for the in-depth or investigative multi-platform award. Richard Cloutier and Brittany Greenslade won for their coverage of Robin Milne. Yeah, the Sprague, Manitoba man suffered a heart attack at his home in October of 2016. He was rushed to the closest hospital, which happened to be in the United States. Although grateful to have been saved, Milne was blindsided by the bill he had received for his care. Through in-depth accounts and persistent questioning, Global News not only uncovered the details of the story, but effected change as the provincial government moved to resolve the situation. It's a huge relief. It really is. And to know that we can continue planning for our future. For, I'm 60 years old now and we're looking forward to retirement and uh, just not having to worry about that anymore. And it was a worry, believe me. So congratulations to Tristan and also to Brittany and Richard who are now in studio with us this morning and uh, you two. Uh, this story, I think, captivated a lot of our imagination. It got our ire up. It had us asking questions, demanding answers. Brittany, you simply did not take no for an answer when asking for answer on these uh, questions surrounding this bill that the, the Milnes received uh, but to me, it has to be incredibly rewarding, never mind the recognition, but to make a difference in the community like this. And I think that that's something that everybody in this room can take pride in because this was definitely a team effort. We launched that here uh, on radio with the panel that morning with Robin talking about that story. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of politicians that are happy that this portion of the story is done and I'm not sitting outside their offices anymore because that was something that... Uh, when you saw Richard or I coming uh, through those few months, um, 
they didn't want to see us coming. <laughs> they wanted us to go away. Um, but we know how much this meant to the Milne family and, and still means to them. Um, I said when we were in Regina this weekend accepting this award that it's one of the only times that I've broken down crying with somebody um, after so many months and seeing what that means to that family because it meant that he could retire. It meant his wife didn't have to take on that second job. We're talking about people who this made a huge difference in their lives uh, as for so many of us to be stuck with a $120,000 bill. But when you're looking at retirement, that's a huge bill to be left with. And often what happens is that we'll do the story and not follow up. We were persistent on this, but in our business, it's rare that you actually get a government admitting that they were wrong and make those changes. And Britt, this story though continues. We're still pursuing the larger issue as far as the policy is concerned. Remember, he has a heart attack. There's a deal with the hospital in Minnesota, no deal with the hospital of Altru in North Dakota. And that really opened up this trans-border agreement that we have between Canada, Minnesota, and North Dakota. And we got to see just how many people were using that agreement, the Altru agreement with that hospital, um, for whether what it was intended originally, 20-plus years ago when that agreement was signed. Um, many people remember that was a three-page agreement that really didn't outline much to it. So that is still in the process now. The government is still working through renegotiating that agreement so people in that portion of the province have a better understanding of what they can and can't use it for. Richard, why should anyone care that we won these awards? Well, I think it also goes to the commitment of Global News and Chorus Entertainment to investigative journalism. And I think in a time where there's a lot of cynicism about fake news and the difference between truth and what's not true in, in life, that there is an investment by this company on your behalf to look at and to get uh, dirty, if you will, and to go after the truth. And it's something that I've certainly built my career on in the past 25 years. And it's fun to to be able to, to see the, the young ones like Brittany come along and, and really come into their own on this, because I think this is a story that, um, uh, and we won for multi-platform. So it's radio, television, and uh, on the digital side. And I have to give credit where credit is due, and that's to you, the listener, because we presented the facts, and you were outraged by this and demanded change of your government. And and I like the way talk radio in this country can really drive a story, and that was really the, the component that did this. But why you should care? Because it could happen to you where a government decides arbitrarily that they're going to come down and make you pay and in this case, it was a contact of mine that had worked behind the scenes and was very frustrated at not being able to shift government on this. And they said, and they gave the government the chance to do the right thing. And then they said, and I, I, and I got this late night phone call saying, you will not believe what I'm dealing with. And uh, Robin Milne decided to tell their story. And it's tough for a family to kind of really lay it on the line and be very public with what they're dealing with. And it speaks also to building those relationships. That took time for Richard to make Robin feel comfortable enough to say, yeah, I'll, I'll talk about it on the radio. Uh, it's very difficult for people to then have a camera in their face or in their homes and open up, especially on such a vulnerable, emotional story. Um, I won't forget that first meeting we had with Robin. We were downstairs at Cora's just talking over coffee. Um, and I'm, I'm thankful to his family for mm -hmm. trusting us to tell their story um, and not just share that story, but to really 
advocate for them, to really push and try to make that change. Because like Richard said, there's so many times where we tell that initial story and that's it. We don't follow it through. And thanks to you two, to Hal, to Jeff, to everybody here, uh, Julie, and and on the television side, to to Brent and John and and all those folks over at uh, at Global Winnipeg that really drove this and all the production, the support team as well, because we made a few trips down to Sprague and into the United States as well. And the time. We know uh, very often now that resources are short, mm-hmm. in, especially in media. Um, everybody's doing two, three, four, five jobs, helping each other out. So it's very rare that not only a company allows you that time to do it and say, hey, guess what? I'm not going to have a story for you today. I need a few weeks to work on it or I need a few days to work on it. And to take you out of the mix and to take you out of that daily grind in whatever your job is, isn't easy. So that really is a testament to what our company is allowing us to do. And the passion of Brittany, because there'd be a Saturday night where I'd get a text or a phone call at 11 o'clock at night. We should be doing this, 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 this. And uh, and support from our, our, our friends in Toronto as well, Global National, and, uh, and our national investigative team as well. That was then, this is now. If you have a story that you want to pursue, Richard at CJOB.com. Yeah, Brittany Greenslade. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, Britt at Global. Before we wrap this up, I also just want to acknowledge as well, Richard, uh, that uh, Global News Winnipeg came away with two of three awards nominated. You're also nominated in the radio newscast mm-hmm. uh, for Small Medium Market for Live at Five uh, with Richard and Julie Buckingham. For those who maybe don't listen in the afternoon, What's the sales pitch? What is Live at Five? We talked to our global correspondents from Winnipeg and across Canada, around the world. You had Jeff Semple on earlier from just outside the hospital of Kensington and the, uh, the the birth of child number three, the the second boy. So we we kind of, in, in 15 minutes, we really do give your city and your world. And, and I would be remiss without saying a few words about Tristan. Because here is a young man, here is a young journalist that is really committed to the product and that he has really come around in our newsroom and he is Sean. And, you know, we he took a lot of time getting this series done, but it was done right and it was extraordinary. It was so wonderful and gratifying for us to see him win this award on our behalf because, you know, we all worked very hard with him on this, but he really worked hard on this. And it was so very gratifying to see a young man like him really achieve something in this business at uh, at a young age because he's got so much potential and he's starting to realize that potential. So big shout out to Tristan. Absolutely. And when you see the power of telling a story and sharing a story like the Milne story, like the Workingtons, the American family from Colorado mm-hmm. who are going to be staying in Manitoba, we know that the government took a second look at that case because the public was outraged because they were prepared to share a story. And we would love to help you share your story. If you've got one to share, you're running in to dead ends on something that just doesn't make sense, reach out to us. That's part of what we do here. It's about making change. And I, I, again, very thankful for people to share their stories with us because it's not easy and we can't investigate those stories without people opening up to us. So we're thankful to everybody that speaks to us on a daily basis. They are not our stories. They are your stories and we're very grateful for them. Brittany Greenslade, Richard Cloutier, thank you and congratulations to you both. Thank you. Well, according to Google Maps... It's 2,155.9 kilometers to drive from Winnipeg to 
Nashville, Tennessee. And I'm sure there are some folks who are contemplating the drive, but there's got to be an easier way to see playoff hockey in Music City. And to uh, find out about that, we're joined by Liz Kulik from CAA Manitoba. We always equate CAA Manitoba with keeping us uh, running and getting us out of our driveways in the wintertime. But uh, Liz, a big part of what you do is uh, helping folks plan road trips and, uh, well, get on an airplane and find a hotel if you'd like to do that. That as well. Well, you know, 20, 2,200 kilometers is a long way to go. Um, so, yeah, the airplane might be the best way. So we want to help people, like you said, plan their trip. But even even if they want to dream about it, what would it cost? What would it take to get me down there? We're ready and willing to help people. If they even just want to explore the opportunity to try to get down there for our game. Well, and this is going to be a short notice kind of situation. So what uh, would it cost if, uh, let's say, I wanted to go to Nashville, I don't know, this weekend? You know, well, you know, and they're they're talking about the game maybe being on Thursday, depending how some of the other series go. So the thing that people ha- need to know is it's the tickets. It's going to decide if you can get there or not. Like if you want to go to a game, our recommendation is secure the ticket first, and then the second you hang up or you finish clicking uh, clicking submit on that Ticketmaster to buy that ticket down in Nashville, book your flight, and then next book your hotel. There's lots of hotels down there, so I don't think people would need to worry. And, of course, we can do the flight in the hotel for you, but that's going to be the thing, right? So when the tickets go on sale, they'll be gone, just like in Winnipeg, in an instant. And then the next thing that's going to happen is the flights are going to book up and the hotels are going to book up. So it's going to have to be a really quick turnaround. And um, by all means, if it's something that you're considering, contact us. We can't necessarily help with the tickets because they are such a hot commodity. Um, And we don't recommend places like StubHub just because, I mean, I did a little peruse on it this morning. They're offering lots of tickets, but we all know that the game date hasn't been announced yet. So if you're going on StubHub to buy a ticket, you have to know there's a chance that that person doesn't even have the ticket in their hand. And there's a chance that you might not have a ticket at the end of the day. So Ticketmaster is the best way to go. You can go on their website, just like here in Winnipeg, and you can sign up for an alert when those tickets are going to go on on sale, and you can just get in the line like everyone else, first come, first serve. It's going to be tough, but uh, I know they're a good hockey town down there, too, and we got the best fans here in Winnipeg, um, but they're pretty much a close second. They're pretty loud and pretty proud, too. Without question. And, and Liz, uh, there are, is so much to do in Nashville. They call it Music City for a reason, but it's also got some other nicknames, including Nash Vegas. A lot of the NHL players... Uh, this is their second favorite stop now that Las Vegas is in the NHL. There's yeah. so much to do. Yeah, absolutely. And we often do, like, I mean, if this would be a quick turnaround, we'd put you on a plane. But motor coach is a pretty big option out of Winnipeg nowadays. People are taking motor coach trips and they go, you know, do a couple stops down the way and they stop in Minnesota and they go through there and then they end up in uh, in uh, Tennessee and they do, you know, they've got the mountains and the Appalachia Trail, um, the Music City, of course. They've got a great, great museum district if you're a history buff. And yeah, just the music and it's uh it's an infectious um, atmosphere from all I've been told. And um, it's actually quite economical too. I mean, it's a pretty long drive if you're going to do it on your own, but hotels are pretty reasonable. The food is great. If you're a foodie, you're going to love it down there. And uh, there's never going to be a shortage of anything to do. Even if you didn't get tickets, I mean, look what we're doing in Winnipeg. Not everyone's getting tickets. So you're hanging out and just enjoying the atmosphere. There's going to be other ways to uh, catch the game. If you didn't necessarily feel like you needed to be in the Bridgestone Center to watch the game, you could very easily have a great little trip um, put together pretty quickly if you wanted to. Yeah, and even if uh, the game game one ended up being 30- 
Thursday and or Friday. There's always game two Saturday and or or, or Sunday, depending on how things work out. So uh, you can make a 20 hours if you've got four People that are good highway drivers, you can do it. It is manageable to do it and get down for one game. You you need about five days, I would say, to to do it comfortably. Uh, Four if you're really pushing it uh, there and back. Uh, But what an adventure it would be. Well, you know, and it, it, like I said, it's actually quite economical whether you're driving or flying. I mean, right now there's tickets for 600 bucks round trip to Nashville, and that's, I mean, it's $600 to Toronto round trip right now too, right? So um, make a trip out of it and take your chance and try and get that ticket on Ticketmaster. I think it would be great. I mean, how many more uh, people screaming true north would be great for our guys when they're down there uh, trying to win, and uh, hopefully there's only two games in Nashville uh, so that we can uh, end it here in Winnipeg. But uh, you're, you're never going to regret it. It's probably one of those places for travelers that you don't really think of. People think of New Orleans, and like you said, people think of Vegas for that kind of good time, but you're just going to get such a good all-around experience. Liz Kulik, we'll leave it there. I I know we caught you at a time where your throat's scratchy, but the timing's good because we're out of time. Liz Kulik is with CAA Manitoba, and you can also hear CAA Talks Travel on 680 CJOB on the weekend, Saturdays at 4 p.m. and Sundays at 9, and you can also download that as well at cjob.com. Who have we got in studio with us here, Greg? Well, we've got uh, two young women who, um, well, they are here to share with us and talk about their experiences of being diagnosed with cancer as young adults and how their adult lives have changed since then. Allison, Max, I had it. (laughs) Maxim Chuck and Andrew Whittle are from Young Adult Cancer Canada, Winnipeg Local Life, and we appreciate them taking some time in studio with us today and is the typical thing. Uh, we, of course, Allison, we have a, a mutual connection, right? So uh, we'll say hi to Lee and Denise this morning if they're listening this morning because uh, it was Lee that connected us and wanted, he thought that we should help share your story. So why don't we start with you and why don't you, you tell us uh, how old were you when you, you learned that you were dealing with cancer? Yeah, I was uh, diagnosed at age 37 with uh, breast cancer. Um, came as a huge shock to me. I, I'm a bit of a planner and, you know, I had my whole life planned out. I had just finished my accounting designation a, a few years earlier and was starting out in my career. Um, my husband and I, we had just built a house together and uh, we had two little girls and never did I imagine I would be dealing with breast cancer at, uh, this stage in my life. Um, you know, so I, it's, it's different when you're, at that stage in your life being um, dealt with cancer because you have to, you know, put your career on hold. Um, you're trying to raise two young kids, and uh, and it's hard. And, you know, just building a house, we now have a, a mortgage and finances to worry about. And, uh, yeah, and I, I guess the hardest part for me was, was my kids, um, worrying about, you know, if I was going to be there for them as they grew up and you know, how this was affecting them socially. Um, were kids at school making fun of them, their mom with no hair, right? So, uh, so yeah, my kids were, although it was the hardest part for me going through cancer, um, you know, they're also what motivated me and inspired me to, to get through it. I saw a lot of growth, and my youngest was only five when I was diagnosed. Um, so she came along with me to all of my appointments, chemo, radiation, blood work, um, so she saw the worst of it, and uh, and she was there for for it all, and yeah, that was definitely the toughest. 
you have a fundraiser coming up, and we'll get details on that uh, momentarily. Um, how long was your treatment? Um, so I was diagnosed with a specific type of uh, breast cancer. It was not hormone-driven. It was uh, HER2-positive. So they now have a specific targeted treatment for that. So I started off with surgery um, to get the lump removed, and then I went through six rounds of chemo, followed by uh, 28 rounds of radiation. Oh, my word. Yeah, and then um, because of my particular type of breast cancer, I was then on a drug called Herceptin for a full year after that. So um, on treatment for a full year and then uh, off work for about 18 months altogether, just dealing with the with the side effects from the cancer and the treatments that I went through. I know just in our everyday lives, I've got twin boys that are 11 and they're at same school, same activities. It's enough of a challenge just with the rush of everyday life to get them to where they need to go or neither to try and get get off work a tiny bit early or juggle your schedule, we're always dependent on other people, in particular grandparents, to help out. You must have had to draw on a lot of different resources on that front to to help uh, parent your children through this difficult time. For sure, for sure. We uh, we live in a small community just outside of, of Winnipeg called LaSalle. So my kids at the time, they were both uh, in two different ringette teams. Um, so that in itself is uh, a challenge, coordinating that on just At the a, best of times. At the best of times, yeah. And uh, swimming lessons and, and all kinds of sports. So I had a lot of neighbors that uh, chipped in and, and helped drive the kids to and from sports. And luckily for me, I don't have grandparents um, around. They live outside of Winnipeg, but my sister lives three doors down. And so she was a, a great help. LaSalle, by the way, 10 minutes from Keniston, just southwest of Winnipeg, up Highway 330, off the perimeter. I might know a thing or two about uh, how to get there. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, Andrea Whittle is their other guest in studio. Same thing for you. You were diagnosed uh, with cancer as a young adult. How old were you? I was 30 years old when I was diagnosed. Um, I was in a relation, long-term relationship with my partner of over 10 years, and I had a 6-year-old son. Um, I was diagnosed two weeks later. I had a double mastectomy. I also had stomach reconstruction, so they rebuilt my chest with my stomach. Uh, about six weeks after having that surgery, I started chemo, which I did the same as Allison. Six weeks of um, regular harsh chemo, as well as 18 cycles of the Herceptin. Um, I also did 28 days straight of radiation. Um, I also had to have an oophorectomy, so I had my ovaries removed because I was a uh, hormonal cancer. So I'm in menopause. I am pretty much been told I'm 70-year-old in a 30-year-old body, so it's been very difficult, the transition from being able to mobily have energy and physicalness, and now, literally, I'm a senior citizen. <laughs> um, How old are you right now? <laughs> now I just turned 33 a couple weeks ago. Okay. So yeah, that's one of the points here that uh, that, that you wanted to, to talk about how it's cancer is is different for young adults, and it sounds like this is why. Yeah, like we're at this young age, you know, we're just getting our careers together, we're starting our families, getting the routine straight. We were saving up. We were only a few months away from going to the bank to apply for a mortgage to get a home. Um, if I didn't have that savings. I would have been homeless on the street. Um, I have a little bit of extended family in the city. Um, the good thing about learning 
um, having this at a young age is you get to deal with the BS earlier and realize who your family is, who your friends really are. Um, I lost all support from my family. I just have my parents out in Gimli and my sister in Calgary. And it was just me and my fiance taking care of my child. My mom came into the city and took me to all my treatments and appointments. Um, I lost my best friends of 20 plus years. Um, Why? Um, it's a long story. <laughs> I think I think being diagnosed as a young adult, you're probably the first in your peer group to go through this. And cancer is a hard subject for people to talk about. Um, and I think it's especially harder uh, for younger people because they haven't had that experience going through it. So it's just easier to withdraw. You, you know, you mentioned the whole idea of having support from from friends, uh, Allison in particular, with getting your kids to ring at and, and whatnot. That goes on the list of, you know, what can I do to help, right? So often, you know, what can I do to help? I have learned uh, from others that I know that have gone through this as well that sometimes it's just, you know, offer to do something specific because we have pride, right? People that are going through difficult times have pride and, and it's difficult to always seem as though you're asking for a favor. And I, I see a little bit of a smile on your face there, Andrea. You can relate to that. I think yeah. you probably went down that road. I'm the type of person who I'm in charge. I take care of everything and it's really hard for me to ask for help. So with my family, it was difficult because you'd expect them to be like, hey, how are you doing? Can I come over? Do you need a ride? Do you need anything? And to not get that and just to find out, oh, if we win the lottery, we'll send her to Disney World. Like, that's not what I'm asking for. I'm just, I just need help today. Yeah. And uh, the other side that I think a lot of people don't understand, you mentioned the savings that you, you went through, uh, Andrea, and I'll turn to Allison because uh, I also know I've read studies uh, that as much as $50,000 is the conservative estimate that um, a cancer diagnosis costs the average family in Canada, not in the United States, in Canada, because not everything's covered. You have waiting periods for different insurances, etc. cetera. Uh, this was a financial burden as well, I imagine, for you, Allison. We know it was for Andrea. Uh, yeah, for me, you know, I was diagnosed a little later in life, so I was lucky. You know, I had disability insurance through work, and I have group health benefits, and uh, and. You know, you realize being diagnosed um, later that you know, how lucky you are to have these types of um, coverages. And not everybody has that when you're diagnosed in your late teens and early 20s as, or your early 30s as Andrea was, right? You're not set up financially. Um, you don't necessarily have the health and disability benefits. And uh, for me, it was just the being off of not having an income for, for the 18 months I was off work that was difficult. Well, that's why fundraisers are so important. And we're going to pause our conversation. Can you stick with us for a few more minutes? We've got to check our forecast, but we do want to tell you about the Winnipeg Local Life Steak Night Fundraiser, which is coming up Friday, May 11th at Kingswood Golf and Country Club in LaSalle, which is why I know exactly where it is, because I've long spoken about how much time I spend there. Uh, but this is for a different thing. Allison, Maxim, Chuck, and Andrea Whittle from Young Adult Cancer Canada, Winnipeg Local Life are here telling us about their stories with cancer and about the fundraiser. We want to talk a little bit about YACC and also about Winnipeg Local Life 
new to our community, Allison. Well, what 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 is the goal there? Because they're two separate things, right? So YACC is one group, and Winnipeg Local Life lends some peer support to folks like you and Andrew that are going through this. Correct. So YAC, uh, Young Adult Cancer Canada, it's uh, it was established in 2000, and it's headquartered out of uh, Newfoundland. Um, but YAC does a lot of national events. Um, we have a big cancer hookup. Uh, they provide uh, retreats, adventure retreats, and more relaxing retreats. As well, they have this uh, local life, uh, which they had in most of the major cities across Canada from coast to coast, but they didn't have one in Winnipeg. Um, so after I finished treatments, Andrea and I became local life leaders uh, for the for Winnipeg, and as of February of this year, there is now a Local Life Winnipeg. So what Local Life is, it's a peer-led activity-based group. Uh, this is where young adults can uh, come together and connect and provide peer support while enjoying free, fun activities. And I see, by the way, is it fun to, to refer to your organization as YAC? <laughs> Yes, it is. It's kind of a, if you got to be a part of something, I'd like that's kind of a neat name. Yeah. Um, but uh, I understand that even though eight thousand young adults are diagnosed in Canada each year, Andrea, this is not an age group that's on really anyone's radar. That's right. Why is that? Um. Or should I direct that to you, Allison? <laughs> um, you know, I, I think it's just uh, an like there's a lot of. Support programs for pediatric cancer and being diagnosed as a young adult, you go to the your tr- chemo sessions and and you're there with um, you're usually the youngest one there and it's it's a very isolating experience um, and Yak recognized that and they recognized the need for more support in this age group. Um, only four po- or point four percent of uh, cancer reach- research spending is on young adults. And uh, that's a quite staggering number given mm-hmm. 8,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every year in Canada. You know, the battle with depression and PTSD is a real one, right, for young people, Andrea? Yes, I experience both daily. Um, the fear of daily recurrence happening is huge. Um, just having to go back to the cancer care building, I start getting flashbacks of everything, and it's it's not fun. And then you... you I've signed up for the groups for in Winnipeg. Um, and again, I'm the youngest one there. When we're all talking in groups, I can't relate to anything going on. They don't have that proper support in what to tell me and help me with it. So when I found out about Yak, it was kind of like a hallelujah moment when I was with them because it wasn't really clinical. We're all the same kind of people and finally feel relaxed and feel a part of a group. That understands. We have about a minute left here. Allison, the Yak Steak Night fundraiser. Tell us about it. So on uh, Friday, May 11th at 6 p.m. at the Kingswood Golf and Country Club, uh, we are hosting a steak night. Uh, You can buy tickets in advance. Uh, They are $20, includes your steak meal and a beer. Uh, There will be a large raffle. And, uh, yeah, we we encourage everyone to get in touch and come out and help support support this great cause. And what if there are people out there that want to get involved in Yak? How do they reach out? Um, we have a email. Uh, it's localifewinnipeg at youngadultcancer.ca. 
Um, or people can just uh, call or text me at 250-4897. And the website, once again, youngadultcancer.ca. That's where you can get tickets. Once again, it's the Yak Steak Night fundraiser, May 11th, Friday, Kingswood Golf and Country Club in LaSalle. It's just 10 minutes from Keniston. Allison Maxim, Chuck, and Andrea Whittle, thank you very much for, thank you for having us. telling us your stories today. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Shanley Vidal. And thank you for listening to CJOB. Thank you.